Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue in um, a series of teaching and equipping that we started Two weeks ago, you remember last week, C.G. Orndorff was here, and he preached to us about don't waste your trials, really great, encouraging word there. But we, the week before, we started a series that we're, called, that we're calling Equipping the Saints, and that comes from a verse you can see on the screen there that's, that is in um, the book of Ephesians in the Bible, where Paul writes that God, Jesus, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, pastors and teachers, the leadership gifts in the church for this purpose, for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And in the Bible, anyone who's a follower of Jesus is called a saint. So everyone in this building that you've decided to follow Jesus, you're a saint. And God gives leadership gifts to equip you for works of ministry, in case you forgot about who's doing the work of ministry. My job as a pastor is to equip you to do the work. So sometimes they say, you pay me to make you work. That's how it goes, and that's in the Bible. That's the plan. Um, last week, we started by talking about power and authority in the kingdom of God, and we were asking, well, what are the works of ministry? And you know, Not last week, two weeks ago. And what we did primarily was we walked through two whole chapters in the book of Matthew, chapters 8 and 9, where back-to-back back there are ten stories that Matthew lays out in that, what I call the discipleship manual. His book is a manual to teach people how to be disciples of Jesus. He lays ten back-to-back back stories of Jesus doing works of ministry. And they include things like, oh, he comes down from a mountain and he heals a leper. Not a leopard, a person with leprosy. Because um, you can't change a leper's spots, right? Where... Sorry. And then a guy runs up to him and says, my servant lies sick at home, suffering terribly. He's paralyzed. Remember that? And Jesus just speaks the word, and the guy gets healed. Um, he drives a bunch of evil spirits out. It's just story after story after story. At the end of all of these stories, Jesus says these words, and Matthew presents it as sort of a summary statement of ministry. In Matthew 9.35 is where you find it. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. That's kind of the pattern you see Jesus doing over and over. That's what the works of ministry looks like. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees the masses of humanity that are lost in their lostness, you could say. And then he says to his disciples, who have been with him in these last ten stories, he says, look, the harvest is plentiful, but there aren't enough workers. Workers to do what? Everything Jesus was doing. You've been watching me do all this. There's not enough workers. We need more. So why don't you pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers into his harvest field. The next sentence in your Bible, is, you might miss it because it's a chapter break, but that wasn't in there. The next sentence in the conversation is that Jesus calls those disciples to him. 
and he makes them the answer to their own prayer. Remember that if you ever ask the Lord to do something, you probably are the answer to the prayer that you're praying. Lord, somebody ought to. And the Lord says, come here. So they're watching all this stuff. They're having a fun time. No idea, because remember, they're just like you and me. When you read the Gospels, you got to picture yourself in the story. You are Simon. You are Matthew. You're just a fisherman. You don't know the first thing about healing people. You're just trying to catch fish. And Jesus says, now come here. I'm going to give you the authority and the power to do what I've been doing. Go out and do it. Here's the instructions. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. And just like you and me, they would have said, I don't know how to heal sick people. I don't know how to cast out demons. I'm not even sure how to say the kingdom of God is near you. That's okay. He sends them out. And we listening today go, oh, well, that's okay. That was Jesus and the 12 apostles. Certainly that doesn't apply to me. The next story that we read was in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus grabs another 72 nameless people who are just followers of Jesus, just like you and me, and he gives them the same story, gives them the same power, the same authority, and he sends them out to heal, drive out demons, and proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Here's the words. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. And the end of Matthew's discipleship manual, he gives us the last words of Jesus before Jesus ascends to heaven. He gathers them together and he says, look, all authority has been given to me. Now you, therefore, go and make disciples of every nation on the planet. And picture, these are people in the smallest town you can imagine. Picture some small town in the Appalachian Mountains that's not even aware that there's bigger cities than them. And Jesus says, you guys, you're going to take this message to the whole world. And they did it, because you and I are here today, because they did it. People just like you and me. I'm with you to the end of the age, he said. Go and make disciples, followers of me, teaching them to do everything that I taught you to do. Many people miss this in the evangelical church that built right into the Great Commission, that's what those words are called often, is the command to go and heal sick people. And do the works of the kingdom of God. That is startling and frightening and confusing. Because if you're like me, I don't have very good effect. If I were, if I were batting 50%, I'd be stoked. Of course, what does it take to be a superstar batter in baseball? What do you need, about 30%? You fail seven times? Oh, so if I go pray for 100 people and 30 have some good effect, I'm like a pro baseball player. Okay, thanks for that. They're not good in sports, so that's helpful. Oh, that changes things. If you're not seeing effectiveness in your ministry, one question is, are you out going out and doing it? So I'm going to talk today about the reality of a worldview that understands that the kingdom of God and the work we're doing is also a conflict with another kingdom. It's kingdoms at war. On our way there, I want to give you, on our way to that teaching, I want to give you one point that's helpful in understanding our role. And that is the concept of stewardship. Stewards 
are servants who manage the master's household and all of his estate. We don't use that word a lot. Sometimes you hear it in church circles regarding money, stewards, stewardship. But the concept, what you, you've read it in the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph when he was sold into slavery and ended up at Potiphar's house? Does anyone remember that story? He became Potiphar's steward. And Potiphar saw that he was faithful and put him in charge of everything he owned. So he got the money, he got the food, he fed the servants, he organized everything, he did the work of stewardship. So listen, you and I are stewards of the resources of the kingdom of heaven. You and I and all disciples are stewards of the authority and power that the Holy Spirit gives. We're responsible. We're stewards of, our t- We're stewards of a lot of stuff. Here's a concept that you, you, it will so set you free if you get this. 1 Corinthians 4. No, not 1 Corinthians 4. I went too far. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So yes, you're a friend of God, a daughter, a son of the king. You're also... A servant of God. I am not my own. There's tremendous freedom in understanding that everything I have is not mine. It's the Lord's and I'm a steward of his stuff. That, that will help you in ministry. And it will help us in our understanding of our role of doing the works of the kingdom. Remember, I am trying to read the word to equip you and me to do the works of service. The first verse we read, the title of this series. So we are stewards um, the, the most obvious area where we recognize that is in the area of money, I said. So we're stewards of all the money we have, all the income we have. And God says, you know what? I'm giving you lots of resource. I want you to take at least the first 10% of it and give it to the work of the ministry in your church to cover the buildings and the maintenance and the facilities and all that you do. It's been that way since the beginning. So we're stewards of that. And he says, you know what? If you, if you do... The first thing I ask you to do with my money, I will bless you and give you all sorts of resource. You won't even have to worry about taking care of yourself because I'll take care of you. But start out with what I give you and give it away. That's the principle of the kingdom, by the way. If we give stuff away, we get to keep it. If we keep it, we don't get to keep it. But if we give it away, we get to keep it. That's not making any sense to me, Ron. If I don't have enough money to pay my bills and I give what I don't have away, how will I pay my bills? <laughs> kingdom of God math. <laughs> Because it works, and I can tell you thousands of stories. Anyway, Jesus said this about that. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, the first aspect of stewardship money is like a mini test to say, well, if you can handle money, I'll give you more. That's not true riches. I'll give you true riches, though, if you'll be faithful in the little things. And money's just a little thing. So, another area of stewardship, 1 Peter 4.10. Peter writes this, as each has received a gift, a gift of, of ability, a talent, and uh, a, a spiritual gift. Use it to serve one another as stewards of God's various graces, or God's varied grace, or God's manifold grace. So, we are stewards of the grace of God. In other words, you're responsible to take the grace that you've received and spend it wisely and not hoard it or not bury it. 
You're stewards of the grace of God. I'm a steward of the grace of God. Any gift I have, I will give account for. Um, Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God or the revelation of God, the things that he taught, the teachings of the word of God. It's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So listen, it's, it's a great thing to be a steward. It's a great thing to have authority and power. It's a great thing to have gifts. But you are a steward of someone else's possessions, and we will give an account for what we do with what we are stewards of. So when I run into a situation where there's someone who needs a touch from God, a healing, a deliverance, an encouragement, a meal because they're poor, I am a steward of the resources of the kingdom to meet that need. That changes how I approach my life. Because it's not mine to hang on to for me, it's his for me to give away and me to enjoy the overflow. So I'm a steward of authority and power in the kingdom from the Holy Spirit. I meet a sick person, and Jesus tells, tells me, obey me and bring healing to them. And that's where the rubber meets the road, as they say, because I have no healing in my hands as far as I know of. Yet, many times I have seen praying according to the way the Bible teaches me affect a sick person and have them get better. I know just uh, two weeks ago when we, when we started talking about this, I saw Elaine in the lobby crying because Michael had been a steward of the grace of God and prayed for some condition, and she was saying these words, it's gone. It's completely gone. I assume there was some kind of pain or something that was gone because someone was a steward of the power and authority of God. So got that? Just This is on our way to the main topic today. But I want you to know you are stewards. We are stewards. Okay, so kingdom is in conflict. Am I talking too fast for you? You sure? Because sometimes I rattle on. <laughs> okay. I just noticed that we started at quarter to 11, and I have so much I want to tell you if I talk fast. But I'll cut it short, Michelle. Okay. You just throw something at me if I talk too fast, okay? Okay, so we're back to this. It is an understanding that you will see if you just read the stories of the gospel that when Jesus came declaring the kingdom of God and doing the works of ministry, that it was very much considered an attack on the strongholds of Satan. He wasn't just helping hurting people. He was attacking something behind their hurt. And he saw it that way. And it's very helpful for us to see it that way when we are doing the works of ministry. Um, a guy that you would do well to read. Oh, let me give you a book recommendation. Ready? You ready? Pull out that pen. A book that I'd love for you to read is called Authority to Heal by Ken Blue. Classic work. Classic work. Haven's dad. Ken Blue, The Authority to Heal. I will steal some of his thoughts sometime today, probably. Another, the theologian George Eldon Ladd, back in the 50s, he wrote that Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and he demonstrated the good news of the kingdom of God, listen, by delivering men from the bondage of Satan. There was always proclamation and demonstration, a message and a ministry. Spoke it, did it. The kingdom of God is here, demonstrated the kingdom of God is here. So what happened to Jesus? Upon being baptized, he immediately goes into the wilderness and he's 
in combat with Satan. There's an attack. It's very clear. Satan's attacking him, and he sees what Jesus is about to do. Jesus comes back. That's Matthew 4, by the way. So I'll give you on that. We'll read that another time. Jesus comes back from that temptation, and he launches his ministry. And the first thing he does is he goes into the local church, the local synagogue. I'm going to read some stories to you now from the Bible of Jesus' ministry to see what we can learn. Then they went to Capernaum. This is Mark 1, 21. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Just then, are you picturing yourself in this church? Please do. Experience it. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us? Would that not freak you out if that happened right here? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Can you imagine? What do you think the answer to the have you come to destroy us is? Yes. The kingdom of God has come and I've come to destroy you. Remember two weeks ago when we were reading the story of Jesus coming into the area called the Gatherings, and he ran into those two guys that were, um, one or two guys, depending on which version of the story, cutting themselves, living in the tombs, and they said, have you come to destroy us before the time? Same story, because they know that at the end of the age, Satan and his demons will be thrown into an abyss. The demons know what their future is. They were surprised, though, that Jesus came already doing the works of the future now. And that's one part of the story where Jesus comes bringing the powers of the coming age into the present age. And we taste now of what is to come. And the demons saw it and they trembled and they were scared. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. The people were all so amazed and asked each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over all the region of Galilee. The only two people in that room who understood what was going on were Jesus and the demons. Because Jesus had come to do war against the kingdom of darkness. When we do works of the kingdom of God, we are doing war against the powers behind the darkness. So Jesus is given this description of his ministry by John. The reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the works of the devil. That's first John, I mean that's yeah, first John chapter three, verse eight. Well, when the, and what are we talking about kingdoms and conflict? Because this is a worldview that will help us in our working as saints who do the works of ministry, which is what I'm trying to equip us in. I hope to lead a church where the vast majority of us are doing the works of ministry, where we, where we pray for people all the time. Where when we see hurting people, we come with the power and the authority of the kingdom of God by, by means of the Holy Spirit and bring healing and deliverance and freedom to them. So those 72 disciples I mentioned earlier that he sent out with the message, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom of God is upon you, return. What's the topic? Kingdoms and conflict. They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the evil one. Nothing will harm you. This will help you if you ever run into a dark spirit. Jesus has given you power and authority over all the works of the evil one. And you are a steward of that power and authority. And folks, the battle is real. Some people think they get saved and they they just got on a princess cruise line. And they don't know, no, they got on a battleship going to war. This is reality and it's helpful to know. Satan was falling from his pinnacle authority as those 72 were doing the works of the kingdom. It was a fulfillment of what Jesus described in Luke um, chapter 11. He had just driven out a demon that set a person free from their muteness, and they couldn't speak. And you'll remember last time we were here, we watched a video from the Jesus Film Project, where the same thing happened in the city where they were, in the village, where they were showing videos of the Jesus story. There was a child, born, never spoke, 12 years old. As they showed the video and heard the story of Jesus, the workers had faith rise up, and they said, we think that Jesus will deliver you. And that's the language they used in the video. And they prayed, and that little boy who'd never spoke, spoke. And he began to tell people the wondrous works of God, just like in the Gospels. Jesus was accused of casting out a demon by the, in that situation. He was accused as, as doing it in league with Satan. And he said in answer, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he expounded. He said, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Satan was the strong man in this world as his house, but one stronger than him came and robbed him and took away his armor. And now his house is being Spoiled. The spoils are being taken. And what are the spoils of the kingdom of darkness? People that have been held in bondage under Satan's cruel grip. And you and I are the agents of the kingdom. That the strong man, having been bound now, come and set people free. And that's what was happening when those 72 went out and said, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Salvation itself, what we talk about when people give their faith to Jesus, they put their trust in him and their sins are forgiven. It's described as kingdoms in conflict. This is Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this description of what salvation is and hear the kingdoms in conflict backstory, background. For Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That is not unlike a description that you would hear, for example, in World War II when the Allied forces came in and defeated the Nazis and then set prisoners of war free. And prisoners in the concentration camps, they set them free and they delivered them out of the dominion of darkness, so to speak, into a new kingdom. It's the same kind of language. Salvation is kingdoms in conflict. Jesus often deals with his healings as though he's in a spiritual battle. When he left that synagogue where we read just a little ago, and the guy screamed out, what are, you, what are you here, to destroy us before the time? You're here to torture us? Jesus said yes and cast him out. He goes from there to Peter's house. And here's what happened, Luke chapter 4. How are you guys doing? Okay, Luke chapter 4. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon's also called Peter. 
Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. They probably think he's going to go say a nice prayer or give her an aspirin. She's got a fever. Maybe some water. Maybe dampen her head with a cool washcloth. So he bent over here, and he does the weirdest thing. He had just rebuked the demon. Watch what he does here. Jesus rebuked the fever, and it left her. Have you ever noticed that language? Jesus rebuked the fever, and it left her. Folks, that is the language of Jesus dealing with personalized evil, a force that had personality. You don't rebuke inanimate objects. Remember, he said, stop it. Come out of her. Silence. Be choked off. Stop what you're doing. You're in the wrong. Get out of here. That's what you do with personages. Not with fevers, unless there's an evil force, in this case, behind the fever. And Jesus saw it and knew it because he was casting out fever as an attack on the weapons of Satan's kingdom. At least that's my opinion and some others. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of diseases and sicknesses, laying hands on each one. He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would allow them to speak. Kingdoms at war. Kingdoms in conflict. How are you doing? You feeling this? You getting this? You seeing this? Are your eyes being opened? Here's a quote from Ken Blue's book. I wish I could give you the whole passage, but just one small sentence as he is dealing with this understanding that sometimes healing is an attack on some greater power. I put a whole thing on the, the board for you here so you could see it in context. It is all but impossible for the modern Western mind to see sickness the way Jesus understood it. It's almost impossible. For him, sickness was not explained in terms of germs or biological malfunctions, but in terms of personalized evil. So he was moved with compassion as he saw the crowds. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he healed them and he delivered them. And he said to his disciples, pray that the Lord would send out more workers to do this kind of work, to set people free from the works of the kingdom of darkness. They're oppressed. And I want to heal them. Here's another story that illustrates this. This is um, Luke chapter 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who'd been crippled. Now, Luke tells us the backstory. He knew that she'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. But this is what you would have seen with your eyes. She was bent over and could not stand up at all. She could not straighten up. We would say, show me the x-rays. This woman has scoliosis. But Jesus saw something more in this case. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to the woman, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Pay attention to the words of this story in the gospel, the way Luke describes what Jesus said and the situation. You are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler, that's the pastor of the church. This guy's so spiritually blind. It's just stunning. 
A woman who's been bent over in his congregation for 18 years stands up, and he's mad because it's Saturday. Indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days of the week for work, so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Listen to these words. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox because the ox is bound up or donkey and lead it from the stall and give it water then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound for 18 year long years be set free she has scoliosis she's bent over but Jesus sees her as having been bound by Satan and he likens it to the situation with an animal that the Pharisees would have owned you have an ox, you have a donkey, you tie them up, they need to be set free. This woman's been tied up and she needs to be set free. Crucial insight. When Jesus was asked about the works he was doing, why is he healing on Sabbath? He gave this answer, my father is at work to this very day and so I do what he does. And he said these specific words that will be super helpful. I tell you the truth, the son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Many cases, you'll see Jesus in a crowd of people, and he heals one. Apparently, it was because he saw that the father said, that one today. This will help you when you are trying to do the works of ministry. Ask the father, what are you doing, father? I want to bless what you're doing. I can't do this on my own. If the Son of God can do nothing on his own, I can do nothing on my own. But there are kingdoms at conflict. And I, I just need you to understand the frustration that we're in. Because when a person hears this message and they read the gospel, there's usually two extreme responses. One is the one you've seen in most of American churches. Well, I don't see much of it, so it must not be for today. I'll just curl up in a ball and wait for Jesus to return then everything will be fine. Let's just try to stay on the boat and be safe and get some more people on the boat, and Jesus will take us all away in some rapture someday, and it will all be good. The other extreme is to go into some kind of mental gymnastics with a triumphal, triumphalism and say, well, we should have it all. Everyone should be healed all the time, and if you don't, it must be that you don't have enough faith. So let's see if you got sin or not enough faith. And if you would just talk yourself into it and believe, 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 and say, 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 confess, 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 decree, 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 declare, 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 then it will happen. And that's no good either. Because at the end of the day we go, they're not all getting healed. But are you catching what's happening? Jesus has bound Satan, but apparently he bound him with a really long chain. Because he seems to wander around, doesn't he? In the present time, the kingdom of God has come and Satan's bound. What does that mean? He's got some boundaries. How are those boundaries enforced? By you and me exercising the authority and power that we have stewardship of in the kingdom of God. We feed the hungry. We're playing good news to the poor. We pray for the sick. We cast out demons and we fail a lot of the time. And the disciples did and you read the stories. There were sick people that didn't get well by the hands of the apostle Paul, for goodness sake. But many did. We are in a battle. We are living in the last days, but we're not living in the last day. 
in the last day when Jesus returns. There will be no more battle because the battle will be over. Right now we are in war and the Father has expressed his will through the Son without any lack of clarity that it's the Father's will to save the lost, to heal the sick, to deliver the demonized. But not all are saved. No evangelist is getting the 100% response, but they're preaching the gospel. We wouldn't say, well, some aren't getting saved, so you might as well go home and don't preach the gospel anymore. No, we'd say, preach it more. Pray more. Seek more. Ask more. In fact, Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, but you should pray this way. Lord, let your kingdom come. But I thought you said it's come. Well, it's come, but it's not come fully. We're in a battle, and there's an ebb and a flow, just like in any battle. There is war. We are kingdoms in conflict. Therefore, we must show up to the battle. We must pray. We must seek. We must step forward and obey Jesus' words. You go make disciples to the end of the age, teaching them everything I taught you, which was tell them the kingdom of God has come, heal the sick, drive out demons, take care of the poor, bind up the brokenhearted. Get it? You have a stewardship of the resources kingdom of God. We are new creations in Christ, right? Is that true? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things are new. Really? Do any of you struggle with sin? Well, is it not true that we're creations in Christ? Oh, it is true. Well, why do you struggle with sin? Because we're in a battle, because it's not the last day, it's the last days. Same thing. You get it? That's why we must press on. Day by day, we put off the old man and put on the new man. But I thought I was new. You are, but you're not. We live in the tension of the already power of the coming age now and the tension of the not yet. It's not fully here yet. And all of life makes sense when you understand that. Therefore, there's a middle ground between, well, I guess God doesn't do anything anymore, or, well, I guess if you had enough faith, God would do everything, so you must not have enough faith, to we're in a war. And if you don't get healed when I pray for you, I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to care for you. And if you die, I'm going to go to your funeral and weep at it. Because funerals are happening and people are dying. But I'm going to pray, 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 and guess what? I'm winning some battles. If I never pray, I don't win any. If I pray for 100, I bet I'll get some. I have and I do, and I will. Kingdoms at war. Just, ah, 11.15, we want to do communion. Just a final thought here. We've been giving power, but it's not impersonal force. The power of God, the power of his kingdom, is power with character. Power, character of love. How did Jesus most demonstrate his power? By obeying the Father and laying down his life for us. So there's a character to the power and the authority of the kingdom that's done through servanthood. There's a servant heart. There's a humility. There's a kindness. There's a care. And we're stewards of that. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of our money. We're stewards of all of the resources of the kingdom of God. We're stewards of his grace. We're stewards of the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel in its height is that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth 
And he didn't stay aloof, but he got in the dirt with us in our pain and our sickness and our sin. And he said, I will bear their sin on my body. And he went to a cross. And he died and was crucified for our sins. And then he rose from the dead for our justification so that we could be made right with God, not by our own effort, but by the efforts of God Almighty who did it all for us and said, receive my grace so that if we put our trust in him, we will be taken from one kingdom and put into another kingdom. Let's celebrate the death of the Lord right now with this meal he's given us. So if you will, this is always the, the biggest struggle of my life, is getting to that little wafer thing. Ha, ah, got it. Thank you. <laughs> On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took something that didn't look like this. <laughs> he took real, probably like it looked like pita bread, probably, right? And he broke it. And gave it out and said, look how I broke this bread. This is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. So Lord, we are going to eat this wafer symbolizing the bread that Jesus broke. Remembering your death. Celebrating the life that comes to us because your body was broken for us. And even as we eat this now, I pray that there would be healing and wholeness coming to people in the experience of the broken body of Jesus. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And it didn't have a foil on it, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, can I get it without spilling it? I can't wait to drink wine in the new kingdom. <laughs> I think you guys are doing better than me. This one's especially sticky. I think I can get from the little crack open. <laughs> I got a crack. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood, not in law, but in my blood, my life poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood poured out for me. Thank you for the forgiveness of Folks, we're a little short on time, or we have all the time in the world, depending on your perspective. Right? But we would, we would err. It would be an error if we didn't give opportunity for us to practice what we were just talking about. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to come in his power and do works of healing right now, works of deliverance, works of salvation, and invite you, the saints, to practice what we've been preaching. Is that okay with you? I heard one sure. Okay, we got one clear. That's good. <laughs> Maybe some more. 
Lord, let your kingdom come now. Let the kingdom of God come upon us as your power and ruling and reigning have come upon so many over the generations. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We receive your authority and power to do the works of Jesus. Give us boldness. Give us confidence. Okay, so here's the step of faith for some of us. If you're in this building and you need or would like, don't even go with need, you would like to be set free from something as simple as a headache, as big as a terminal disease, as serious as a broken relationship, as confusing as financial distress, any of these things that have become weapons of the enemy to oppress you, if you would like to be set free today and you're willing to take a try, we'll go up to the bat and we'll, up to the plate and we'll swing the bat. Would you stand up and we're going to gather around you and pray for you. If you have need of healing in your body or your relationships or your finances or something that I didn't name, you guys are a healthy people at this place. No one needs any. Oh, here's one. Maybe two. I can't tell if you just be. Oh, three, four. Ah. Lord, let faith increase. We're going to try to do what we say you have taught us to do so that we can practice. Here's another one. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Saints, that's all of you. I want to invite you to get up out of your seats, and this is how we'll end our time together. I don't care if you're a brand new Christian or an old Christian. I don't care if you've sinned this week and just repented this morning. I don't care your stature. This is an issue of God's anointing based on obedience and his power, not your works. You just obey. Gather around these people, and we see a guy here. We see two people over there. Someone needs to come. Put your hand on Daniel. Got Enoch taken care of. Josie looks like she's good. Ask them what the condition is that they need a touch from God. Don't just start praying until you ask them. Listen to my instructions if you could. Then invite God to begin to minister and wait. Don't start talking a bunch. Wait for a bit. Invite the Holy Spirit to minister to them and watch because you can only do what the Father does. So invite the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and wait. Listen, when you sense that he's starting to manifest his presence on the person, you sense he's giving you unction to pray with faith, then pray. And Amy, would you mind bringing whoever you want up and kind of leading some worship in this ministry time? This is how we're going to end our time together. We just call this ministry time. We're ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Care for each other, love each other, heal the sick, cast out demons, feed the hungry, encourage the brokenhearted, do it every day as stewards of the grace of God in all its many forms.
Amy's going to lead some worship to hang out, pray, worship, and then go on and have your day. See you tonight, perhaps, at Sunday nights at Grace. We're going to talk about how to be content in every circumstance. So join us if you would. God bless you guys. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.